Hey guys, I'm Riz. And I'm Liza. And you're listening to the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Period. Happy start of uh, March Madness. Did everyone make their brackets? I don't even know what that means. It's a basketball thing. And like, I do not watch basketball, but I like to make... I like to have my dad make a bracket and me make a bracket and then see who gets closer. Cause like me, I'm just picking like, Oh, like whose logo do I like better? <laughs> Is this professional ball or college ball? College, I think. Okay. Cause you know me, I'm from the women's basketball capital of the world. So I only really care at all about college women's basketball it, but I still don't give a shit. Fair enough. It. Fair heck. Fair enough. Fair enough. I would like people to guess where I'm talking about when I say women's college basketball capital of the world, because I fear some people may think of someplace else, but they would be wrong if they thought that. Leave a comment. Leave Let a us comment. Know. What do you think? What do you think I'm talking about? If you get it wrong, Krampus comes to your house and doesn't do anything good. And you guys don't want to see Krampus in March. You don't. He has much less fur on him because he's getting ready for summer. It's not good, best friends. Mm -mm. I had Sylvie make a bracket. Yeah. And how I did it is I just like had the two symbols up and then I said this one or this one and he would just point to one. That's so cute. He had so much fun that he wanted to do the women's one, too. And this boy, I don't know if he, like, understood that he was picking Buffalo, but but predicted Buffalo to win. And I'm like, (gasps) it's not going to happen. Spoiler alert, people. If you haven't guessed what I meant earlier, guess now because I'm about to say it. Um, Where did he put the Huskies on women's? They got to, like... What is it? The semifinals? Sylvia, I hate to break it to you, but you are not winning this one. (laughs) Your bracket. No. It's going to be the Huskies versus, for women's basketball, it's going to be UConn versus Notre Dame. Because when is it not? That's what I thought people would mistakenly think I was from the town wherever Notre Dame is. I'm like, no. Bitch, I'm from UConn territory. Get it right. She said the Fighting Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Um, no. Fuck off. Huskies, Gino Ariema, that bitch. <laughs> he he liked the Huskies because he liked the doll, the, the doll, the dog. But then it came down to them. And I don't know what this is. Uh, I-U-P-U-I. What is that? Yeah, Indiana University. Indiana, uh, Indiana, Purdue University, Indianapolis, 
Indianapolis in Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> so, and their logo is like a jaguar, like, like, rah. And so cool. it, when it came down to those two, he picked that one over the Husky. He was like, oh, oh. Nanny and Maymay from Indiana. They from Indiana, but um, they they do not be participating. The only brackets I know are when I pick, like, it's all the One Direction songs and you have to narrow it down. Um, yes. That's the only Let's kind see. of bracket I care about. That's why it's fun to do, like, basketball, because, like, I don't know poop about poop. I don't know, you poop. know what I mean? I don't know poop about poop. I don't know poop about poop. So I'm just randomly picking. And then if I get one right, it feels even better. I'm like, whoa. But yeah, hey guys, this is a basketball themed episode because we're really good at knowing about it. We know everything about it. Oh um, yeah. By the way, guys, when this comes out, it's not even St. Patrick's Day anymore. No. It's actually a few days before something else, which is a holiday for some people, depending on how you live your life. Um, and that's what our episode is themed around. It's Oscar night. Okay. <laughs> Some yeah. people go crazy for the Oscars. I don't. Do I you? don't really care, but I know people who do care. I like the okay. MTV award movie and music awards better than the Oscars or the Golden Globes because I'm hot. Agreed. Best kiss. Absolutely. Bitch, why would I sit through three hours of cinema like who's winning what director who's did what when i could watch music videos and know who got the best kiss of the year like <laughs> that's that's what we need like, give the I, people what they want so yeah we don't really care about the oscars um or the golden globes or the grammys that being said we there, we do care about books we do care about books so when you add books to the Oscars, you get the category best screen adaptation. This is the 94th annual Oscars. Cancel them. Cancel them. Okay, so, um, and the nominees are CODA. Which I couldn't find the book. Drive My Car. Dune. The Lost Daughter. And The Power of the Dog. Which we all know Dune will probably win just because it's popular, right? No, I guess um, The Power of the Dog is predicted to win. The power, what the free is the power of the dog? It's that Western and Benedict Cumberbatch is in it for some fucking reason. The power of the dog is most likely then drive my car, then the lost daughter, then Coda, then Dune. Wow. Because I don't know. I don't think people really liked Dune. If it was MTV Movie Awards, Dune would probably win because it's a voting one. But because this is the Academy, um, they're probably like, no. We don't trust the Academy anyways. I know. They're always racist. But I think Power of the Dog is pretty white, as is Dune, as is The Lost Daughter. But Drive My Car, the entire cast is... Asian 
um, not all Japanese, but mostly Japanese. Everybody's white in CODA too, except for it looks like maybe some Latinx folks. And it takes place in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which is, I know Gloucester. That's fun. Anyway, so with white people, um, whereas people from Gloucester are usually Portuguese, which is white, but these people look like extra white, whereas Portuguese people don't usually look that white. Anyway, so the only POC out of all these adapted screenplays is Drive My Car. So that tells you what the Oscars is like. But The Lost Daughter was written by a woman and directed by a woman. Okay, yeah, Dune was just all men. Power of the Dog was originally, I believe, written by a man, but it looks like the screenplay is a woman. So there's not much diversity here, folks, um, at the end of the day. But we did read some books and have some thoughts. We, we did. We also watched movies and had thoughts we watched movies and had thoughts. we doubled up this week we did extra for you guys hit that like button yeah like and subscribe (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) miss mojo so i bet you're all wondering which which one of our nominees won the category of me reading it I'll let you know right now. The winner for the book that Marissa decided to read is The Lost Daughter by Elena Ferrante. And the winner of the book that Liza decided to read was Men Without Women by Haruki Murakami featuring the hit short story, Drive My Car. Woo! Snaps all around. So yeah, so we read these books and then watched the movies or watched the movies and read the books, I don't know. And we're here to share our thoughts with you. So... Um, okay, best friends, why would I have read anything other than Murakami? You guys know me at this point. Um, I love this bitch, even though I also get irritated by him often. Um, but that's how you know you really love somebody. So I read the short story collection, Men Without Women, um, which was originally published in the Japanese in 2014 and was translated into English in um, 2017. This is like now the third or fourth collection of his short stories that I've read. The Elephant Vanishes is by far my favorite collection of his short stories. And his newest one, First Person Singular, is my least favorite. But... This one falls somewhere in between. The reason I don't like this as much as some of his others is that it's basically all, it's still very strange, but it's all realism rather than magical realism. There's nothing super funky going on in any of the stories except for maybe one, uh, which I'm not going to talk about, obviously, because... 
Uh-huh. It has nothing to do with the Oscars. But I did really like the closing story, which is the titular Men Without Women. And I did really like the opening story, which is Drive My Car, which, as you guys now know, was turned into a film. I would have to look into this more, but I don't think that Murakami's stuff has really been turned into movies or at least popular movies in the past. I He seems like the type two that wouldn't really want his stuff turned into movies. And I would not want his stuff turned into movies either. Um, I think it was a really smart choice to do Drive My Car out of all of his stuff because... Like I said, it's still strange in that really wonderful Murakami way, but it is not at all. It's It doesn't really break from reality as much of his other stuff. And I just think nobody would really be able to get it right if they tried to do some of his magical realism stuff because it's just so surreal and so bizarre. And it, I just think it would probably get cheesy. Um, but I think this was a good choice. And I'm really glad it was done by a Japanese crew. Um, because I think it would have been bad if it had been, I think it would have been bad if it had been American. Like I can just picture it now and I hate, I hate it. I think that I don't know. Let's also say Marissa and I know about books, but we don't know about movies. All that being said, um, I do really like Asian films, for example, Train to Busan, which is Korean, Parasite, which is Bong Joon-ho, and also Snowpiercer, which is a largely American cast, but it was Bong Joon-ho. But for example, Train to Busan, right? Korean film. They're turning it into a American film and it looks so bad. And the original is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. It's horror. And I feel like I have a little bit more um, tools to talk about horror than I do to talk about films like Drive My Car. Um, Train to Busan is incredible. But anyway, Drive My Car, Japanese, not Korean. And I'll get into it later, but like technically speaking, I think it was a really good film. And I just, ugh, I'm trying to picture what actors they would choose if they did it with an American cast and like who would have probably directed it. And I'm just so glad that it was done in Japan by Japanese people um, with a largely Japanese cast. Um, but yeah, this movie came out in 2021 and I believe it is actually nominated not only for best adapted screenplay, but best picture. By the way, it also did really well when it first came out. It came out on the Cannes Film Festival first and it got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which is pretty freaking good. Been nominated for a bunch of awards. And before I get into talking more about the film and kind of comparing and contrasting the film and the book, I'm going to talk about the book because that's what Marissa and I know how to do. So yeah, the book, Men Without Women, it's a collection of um, seven short stories, the first of which is Drive My Car. I think this is probably also the most, other than the titular short story, Men Without Women, I think Drive My Car is probably the most well-remembered and well-received short story from this collection. From what I understand, there's Murakami experts out there, and I am by no means one of them, even though I love his stuff. I don't think Men Without Women is a people's favorite. Um, like the the collection. I don't think it's anybody's, like I would think it would be quite strange if somebody was like, yeah, my favorite work by Murakami is um, Men Without Women. And that's not an opinion thing. I think that's like a, 
generally someone can correct me but i think that's like a generally thought thing but like i mentioned earlier sometimes he's like i can't tell if he's being misogynistic or if he's like trying to make some kind of point and that probably is the point but that's why i really did not like his newest collection i just think he maybe should have quit while he was ahead because he's getting he's getting old and i think he probably should have said all right take it easy and maybe not come out with that one um (laughs) uh but yeah so that that is where maybe some of my issues lie with this one um but then again, I have read some of his stories where I really like the way that he writes from a woman's perspective. So he's kind of just like, you know, he you, you never know what kind of day you're going to catch him on. Um, Drive My Car is not from a women, woman's perspective, but there's basically only two front story characters, which are a man and a woman and three backstory characters, which are two men and a woman. And I think the women... Mm. I'll get into this when I talk about characterization, but there's like pros and cons with how he talks about the women in both the front story and the back story. Also to say every single story in this collection is about men without women. Just like, that's why it's called that. Like, it's like about women, like women are at the center of all the stories, but also they're removed from all the stories, if that makes sense. So that's just to give you a preface on that. But Drive My Car, it's about a 25 or so page short story. Um, and it's about this man who, uh, uh, Kafuku, and he's an actor. Um, he has glaucoma, so he can't drive anymore, but he loves to drive. And so a this 24-year-old girl, Misaki, is hired to be his driver, his chauffeur. And basically the entire story is them talking in the car while she drives him to and from play practice and stuff like that. And it's actually very cool. And he talks a lot about his wife, who is deceased. I believe in the book, she's dead from cancer, like uterine cancer or something. Um, But he talks about her and um, these affairs that she used to have and how he at one point befriended one of the men that she had an affair with. And so that's like a huge part of the story is him like relaying this tale to Misaki. But also it's about him and Misaki getting closer throughout as she he be, as she like is his chauffeur and also him like just reckoning with his past and himself um and himself as an actor and any like mistakes he's made in life um as well as focusing on um this affair that the wife had and the wife as a person and i don't know it's a really interesting story and both characters are very interesting and it it does have that sort of like Murakami-esque like just it's almost like an exploration exploration of two people in a very short amount of time um which I think is cool um and the ending is also very Murakami-esque in that they just kind of talk and then he falls asleep in the car and she keeps driving and the story's over and we never get to find out anything that happens after the fact but that is what I like the movie ending is very different um, and I'll get into that later, but I actually liked it. 
I think. So I'll talk about that later. But to actually get into the writing scale of the book before I, above the short story, before I get into talking about the film, um, for readability, I gave this book a, this story a seven. Um, I thought it was by far one of the best stories in this collection if i were to make a bracket of all the murakami short stories i've read i would i would this would maybe make it pretty far like i i i would say that i thoroughly enjoyed it but it's not my favorite of his stories there's not anything crazy happening but you still want to keep reading and keep being with these characters not necessarily indefinitely but you want to get to the end so i think that's always a sign of something being readable um, and interesting for language and style i gave this story an eight i think it would be just crazy to give it anything less than that but also maybe crazy to give it anything more like i said i didn't think this was his best story. That being said, his style is so distinct and it never is bad, uh, even when the actual subject matter is bad. But it, it like also my favorite thing about Murakami is that his style is very simple. There's there's nothing really ever crazy going along in the language. It's more so crazy going on in the form or in the subject matter. And especially with this, because it was so realistic, so close to the real world, that's probably why I gave it an eight instead of giving it any higher, um, because he didn't have to do anything kind of out of the ordinary, I guess, um, because it was so based in reality. And I'll get into this later too, because when I talk about the movie, but I'll probably talk about the language in the movie and also some things that were without language in the movie and how they actually outshined the source material. I'll get into that later though. For form, um, I gave this book, I think I only gave it like a six. There's nothing really interesting happening with form. And the movie is kind of similar, which I'll talk about later, but it's, it's pretty straightforward flashbacks, a lot of storytelling, which I love storytelling in books, but I would say like, that's almost, that is kind of a form thing, but it's not that it's not that it's like experimental or something that I like have not seen before. So that's why I gave this a say for shelf worthiness. I gave this book a six. Um, I would say it is something that you could totally have in your collection, especially if you really like Murakami. Why not have this on the shelf? Maybe this story or one of the others you might want to revisit, but it's it's by no means like, for example, The Elephant Vanishes, one of his other short story collections that I would I would go, I would, I would need to keep it because I would go through and reread those stories again and again and again. So that's why I'm kind of lukewarm on shelf worthiness. Like totally could have it don't need it, yada, yada, yada. Next is plot. And for plot, I gave this book a seven, which kind of feels, sometimes it feels silly to give something a seven when nothing really happens. Like to give something a high score for plot when nothing really happens in the plot. But sometimes I think we learn too, like with literary fiction, like sometimes less is more and it's not, always a matter of crazy things having to happen in the plot for it to be good. Like there can be almost no plot and it will still be better than something that has a lot of plot depending on like how it's done. 
And so that's why I gave this book a seven. I really, really actually like the short story and that it does just take place between these two people talking, especially, I mean, he talks more than she does, um, but we do get these little bits and pieces from her, which I'll get into more when I talk about characterization um, that I just find so intriguing and that kind of ties into what I was saying about readability that like it's not necessarily that you're like what's going to happen next but it's that like you want to keep reading because you like you're like I have to know what they're going to keep talking about even if it's not like you know you know it's not going to end in a like something crazy happening you know there's not going to be a plot twist if you've read some of his other stories you actually know that you're probably going to be left being like what the fuck like okay what did I just read? I'm left with no answers. Um, but I think that's a really beautiful thing about reading, especially in short stories, that everything doesn't have to be tied up into a neat package. And it can just be short stories are so cool because they can just be like a like a snapshot, a quick moment, a fleeting moment in a way that sometimes full length books can't. And I'll get into that when I talk about the movie as well. But I personally really like the plot of this. Um, and for characterization, I gave this an eight. I thought both of these characters in the front story um, were very endearing in different ways. I especially like Misaki, obviously, but I think Kafuku is really interesting too. And I also thought the wife even though she's dead and even though he is kind of speaking ill of her, obviously, because he's like talking about her affairs, you never actually dislike her because he gives such, he gives her such life, even though she's dead. And even though she's never in the front story that while he's trying to understand her actions, you're beginning to like understand them too. And you don't hate the man that he befriended that she had an affair with either. And I think that's a really weird thing that he did, but it's something I really like because it makes it all the more realistic. Um, and we always have in our notes that like, I am invested in these characters I can relate and or understand them. And even if you can't necessarily relate to these characters, he does a really good job at helping you understand them, each of them, um, in such a short amount of time, which I think shows a lot of talent. Um, so yeah, that's my that's kind of my thoughts on the short story. Definitely read it. I don't know. You might be able to get your hands on a copy with, of this without buying the whole book. Um, I don't know if it's like online anywhere. Um, but you may just want to do that, to tell you the truth. Um, but in terms of the movie, pretty different, but pretty similar. There was things I liked about the movie more than the book. And there was other things that I was like, oh, I wish they had had, like, I wish they had kept this kind of idea um, in it. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of how I want to talk about this. I was saying this to Marissa beforehand. <laughs> I don't really like films. I like movies, um, which I think when I say that, you guys kind of know what I mean. Like, I don't typically like, like, love. Like, I'm not going to watch an Oscar-nominated, Best Picture-nominated film and be like, new favorite movie just dropped. That's just not who I am. And I understand that some people really care about film in the same way me and Marissa really care about books. So I would never want to say, like, oh, I hate, like, I hate this kind of movie because like, I'm not going to say that. Like, I understand that these movies are films are all really, really good. 
I just don't have the background knowledge to appreciate them in the way some other people would. Um, that being said, I, I watched this film and I enjoyed it. I watched Nightmare Alley and I enjoyed parts of it. I watched The Lost Daughter and I, I enjoyed it. So it's like, I'm not going to be like, this is bad, but never am I going to be like, drive my car, favorite film ever. But if it is your favorite film, that's cool. And I would love to hear you explain that because I don't have the type of um, training or brain that wraps around um, film. So I'd love to hear your thoughts because I'm just going to talk out of my ass for about five to 10 more minutes because I know nothing about movies unless it's trolls or horror films from the 2000s, bitch. Um, <laughs> and that's it. That's all I know. Um, if you want to ask me about DreamWorks trolls, I will. Oh, speaking of, let me just get a little, get off topic here. Um, a film I did watch recently that I said new favorite movie just dropped is Turning Red, which is Pixar's new movie. Oh my God. New favorite film just dropped. You guys, it's incredible. Go watch it. Marissa, did you love it? I loved it. And also they this is the first kids movie. This is the first kids movie I've ever seen that portrays having your period and uh pads, which I, it's it's literally in there for maybe like five minutes at the most. But still, I was like, oh, it made me so happy for like little girls growing up to see that and be like, oh, OK. I loved that part of it. I'm glad you mentioned that because I love that, too. And like it, it does. I don't know. I actually have not seen Inside Out. So I'm sorry. I have to watch it. It looks sad. I haven't seen Soul and I haven't seen Inside Out because they just look a little bit more sad. But that being said. I, Coco is probably one of my favorite Disney movies ever made and it's so sad so I don't know I should probably just get to watching those but I thought this movie also did a really good job at like portraying a teenage girl's emotions because she turns into a red panda when she has like extreme emotions and she goes through a lot of different emotions and she's obsessed with like a boy band which is so me and marissa and it takes place in the early 2000s it's a really really good movie i think disney and pixar are releasing absolute pops because like i said coco is the best my favorite Disney movie maybe ever. I fucking love it. Um, Luca is also one of my favorite movies. I thought Encanto was incredible. So good. And now turning red, I'm like, okay, perfect. Amazing. Five stars. So yeah, that also lets you know, if I talk about turning red with such excitement, <laughs> now you know the kind of person I am. I don't know how to talk about films, Oscar nominated films, but I will, because if I'll do one thing in life, it's talk out of my ass and make stuff up. If you went to school with me, you know what's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie was really interesting because it starts in a different way than the story in that basically for the whole story, um, for the whole short story, we are with Kafuku and Misaki from when she becomes the chauffeur. And then we get the exposition. This movie gives us the exposition first. So it shows us Kafuku with his wife 
long before we even meet Misaki. We don't meet Misaki until like an hour into the film. The film is three hours, which is also interesting because I'm like, why was a 25 page short story turned into a three hour movie? And at first I was like, I, I, I wonder if I'm going to not like it. I wonder if I'm going to wish, why couldn't they have just made it a short film? 25 pages could easily be a 25 minute film but i didn't mind the fact that it was three hours like i said like i I, i'm probably not gonna watch this movie again but i didn't mind that it was three hours one other thing i need to say before i move forward do not watch this movie on hbo because the captions are terrible i watched this on hbo because that was how to watch it for free thankfully i was able to follow what was going on um i think in part because i had read it before and also because you know you could still read the captions, but they were off. And I looked up online because I thought maybe it was just my closed captions. Everybody's having issues with the HBO Max captions. I don't know where else you guys can watch this. Um, it's still in some theaters, and I would hope maybe the captions would be better there. I uh, Maybe if you purchase it on like Amazon or something, it's going to have better captions. HBO captions are not it. Um, that feels like an accessibility issue. That feels like it makes this hard. I don't know if this is surrounding all films, but that makes it hard for people who cannot hear to watch this movie. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it also raises an issue of like, these people put all this hard work into this movie and you're not going to add in the extra effort to help people enjoy it. I, I, I don't know. Definitely you can watch it on HBO Max if you speak Japanese um, because it's a fucking lovely um, film and I'm sure it's amazing to be able to understand exactly what they're saying without having to read the captions. And you can get by with the HBO captions and you can get by not speaking Japanese. But I wish that I had seen this with, with good um, caption. So HBO Max, maybe you should fucking fix that. <laughs> Just saying. Um, I know that's a big issue with a lot of movies. Uh, and I also know dubbing and poor captioning is bat- is an issue with especially foreign films. Like, I know a lot of people were waiting for um, Squid Game to come out with better cap with Korean translated captions because the dubbing people did not like and I guess the original captions that were done were done fast and they weren't good so yeah platforms like HBO Max and Netflix like do better like pay pay somebody good money to translate this movie in the way it was supposed to be read just like amazing translators translate books for people like um Jay Rubin thankfully translating so much Murakami for us like do better streaming services um that's on that I needed to do a little rant there I guess but yeah so I guess that was all to say I don't think I experienced this film maybe in the way it should have fully been experienced so take that with whatever I'm gonna say as well but yeah you don't meet Misaki until a while into the film and you get the exposition first and you see Kafuku with his wife, including her affairs, including him first getting glaucoma, including her dying, which they changed the way how she dies in the movie. Um, I didn't care. Like, I don't mind. I'm not a stickler for that sort of thing. And it was interesting because you know how you'll see a movie and there'll be like five minutes of movie and then the beginning credits will roll. 
and then it will show the title of the movie. This was 45 minutes of exposition before the beginning credits and title came, which I was like, that's really interesting. Um, and, And so the movie really, the movie is two hours and 59 minutes long, and it really doesn't start until like two hours in, even though it did start, because they give you that exposition in an interesting way. And part of me was like, couldn't they have just done this the way they do it in the book and had him explain everything or have flashbacks? But I actually decided against that I didn't like that um, because I think in film that can come across as cheesy flashbacks. So I don't know. I think I liked that. Again, I want to hear what an actual film person had to say about that. Um, But I, I thought that was a little bit cool. Let me get the negative, I guess, out of the way first. I somehow thought, I don't know if it was, I was missing the captions. So it, that could have put a hindrance on it. But I almost thought Misaki was almost better developed in the story than in the movie. Kafuku was very, very, very much the main character of the movie. Whereas I kind of felt like Misaki and Kafuku are splitting the main character role in the book. That's just my interpretation of it, though. And like I said, it could be because I was I was kind of watching this on a streaming service instead of in theaters. My captions weren't working. But that's the one negative thing. Positive comparison. This movie is stunning. Cinematically gorgeous. Like, wow. There's so many driving scenes that are so good and to see a car driving through japan um and to see it just like driving like a normal freaking car like (laughs) like we're so used to like fast and furious movies and i'm like no this is just like real life and there was just these beautiful shots of the car from inside the car into the car and those were just gorgeous and then there was this other just scene where you'd look and be like, what? Is, uh, 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 well, it would be such a change of scenery and it would be so beautiful. There's this one scene that at like a garbage like processing place that was just stunning. Um, there's one scene on a boat that was visually stunning. And then there's this scene in the snow where they, they kind of have this conversation that I think pieces of it are in the book, but it's not in the same way um but on like a snowy like mountain uh and it oh my god like the white snow with the two characters just being enveloped by this vast nothingness of snow was so gorgeous and the reason i think it's very cool that they were able to do this is if you've read murakami you know homie is not going to spend time describing the scene bitch he does not care about telling you what anything looks like you're just along for the ride without like like one of my favorite stories of his is called where i'm likely to find it and that one has a little bit more scenery because it takes place on one apartment building but he gives you the bare minimum best friends and in every other story sometimes you just know office house car like that's all you know he is not gonna give you a flowery description of a scene and i wouldn't want him to but being able to do this in the movie added something that his books don't have and so i thought that was really cool and the other thing i'll say which i guess can kind of 
Oh, no, I'll say I'll say two more things and then I'll and two more things and then I'm done. There was so much more of him, the actor part of him in this than there is in the book. And the coolest part was this whole movie was not only an ode to Murakami, but it was one big ode to Anton Chekhov, which I thought was so cool. I don't think this is an original part of the source material. At least it's not something that I picked up. I, I would think that Murakami probably does really like Chekhov um, and is probably an admirer of him. In fact, I know he's an admirer of other Russian authors, including Kafka. So I'm, I'm sure he loves Chekhov. But they're basically doing a production of Uncle Vanya in two different parts of this movie and through the whole thing really we're with we're flashing to the stage and to this production of uncle vanya which is also a very interesting production of uncle vanya because it's like a mix of japanese and tagalog i'm so sorry if i mispronounced that but and then there's also a character that it does sign language um and then there's a character i believe she's from hong kong and she speaks english in it and it's it's very cool and the play the way they show the play is sometimes you're watching it from the audience but sometimes you're watching it so you can see the audience and it is just very cool and i don't know how he would have done that in the book in as in as depth as it's done in the movie but i thought that was a really awesome thing um to add and I really liked that. And I think if you're a lover of literature and you're wanting to read, watch Drive My Car because you like Drive the book, sorry, Drive My Car, you'll really appreciate this too. And maybe actors would, uh, not maybe, definitely actors who study Chekhov would really appreciate this too in the sort of like ode to Chekhov that it is. Um, very fucking cool. Um, last but not least, I loved the ending of this movie loved it no clue what it means Abs- no. Uh, uh, what I was like I don't know which is how Murakami like I I firmly believe that you should finish a Murakami book or short story and be like well it is what it is and that's how I felt about the ending of this movie I don't want to spoil it no clue what it meant um I'll just tell you that it's uh Misaki and um a dog and potentially COVID-19. I have no clue what that meant. I don't know where anything ended where it was, um, but last five minutes, fucking cool. Um, that's the theme of the Oscars this year, actually, because if you've seen the last five minutes of Nightmare Alley, um, you know that's the best part of the whole movie, and otherwise you could throw the movie away. The last five minutes are some of the best cinema I've ever seen in my life. Don't care about the rest of it, even a little. I feel like I don't remember what the last five minutes of The Lost Daughter were like, but maybe it was a similar thing. I can't recall. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, basically you can watch the Oscars by just watching the last five minutes of all the nominees. But that's my thoughts on Drive My Car. Sorry if that went on a little bit long. Maybe it didn't. I just ah, I felt a little crazy there, a little manic. Um, But yeah, hey, that's what it was and that's what it is. She said, I have to spill all of my thoughts now. And that's that's what she should be doing.
as Liza said, when it comes to film with the capital F, I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> I'm not trained in this. Um, I could probably tell you a whole bunch of like stupid metaphors in horror movies. But when it comes to film, I'm like, why was it shot that way? Why is it looking from behind the ear? I don't friggin' know, man. My brain don't work like that. But why don't we um get into the lost daughter? Um, so first of all, I'm gonna say so this book is written by Elena Ferrante. That is actually a fake name and we don't know who she really is and i think that's so freaking cool and all these people have theories like she is an italian author and so people try to use her interviews that she's had to try and uh figure out like Oh, she she said she's a scholar from this school and she left here at this time. So that means that she must. And I'm just like, besties, she just wants to live. And it's not like, oh, she doesn't use a fake name just to, like, be cool or whatever. She does it because she feels that once her work is out into the world, it doesn't need to be connected to her in any way, which I love that and wish that I could have some sort of that but I don't know the Leo in me is like "Mm, bestie get your bag (laughs) um so yeah and the movie adaptation was directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal which is really freaking cool and um I felt particularly happy to be reading this book in um this month for women's history month for a couple reasons woman director woman directed the cast is pretty much all women there are a few men but i mean they play minor roles this this book is plot that moves from women by women men do not set off the actions and i'm like more of that please but yeah let's get into it a little bit initially watching the movie i was like this is the most confusing movie i've ever watched and uh then i read the book and i was like okay (laughs) so let's talk about that for readability i gave this book a seven Um, It's a really, really short book. It's only 140 pages and the font is big and I love big font. We know that I'm not a fan of the small font. So reading this big font, I was like, hell yeah, bestie. So it went by really, really fast. It's really easy to just zoom through. It's kind of introspective to the point where you almost forget that you're reading. It just kind of feels like you're thinking with the character if that makes sense um and you're just kind of like immersed in their thoughts um for language and style i gave this a 5.5 like i said very introspective so you're getting real-time scenes but you're mainly going into memories 
and those memories are tying you into thoughts. I think the like the real scenes and the physicalness of the book only takes place over like maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but you're constantly going back with flashbacks and memories and the main character, the main character, her name's Lita. So Lita's thoughts on these memories and why she made the decision she did is very philosophical almost. Um, I think maybe more details and more descriptions of the um, Italian area area would have been interesting to kind of ground us a little bit more, but I don't even think that it was needed. But Leah talks so much about how her kids are currently in Toronto and she's not there, but it's not ever like cleared exactly where she is. Um, and I just think harping on space just a little bit could have been another interesting insight from this character. For Shelfworthy, I gave this a 5.5. I think you could borrow this one. This book feels to me like it may be for mothers or someone who has a strong maternal relationship to other people because a lot of the thoughts in here it's about mother and daughter's mother and daughter relationships which i found interesting but i don't specifically relate to as only having been a daughter and not having been a mother there's i'll get into that in a minute i also think this is a good book to read during women's history month because again, like I said, mainly women, but also it speaks about women as mothers and daughters and what that means, what it means to be a father and to be able to do your career and all this other stuff and then be a mother and be expected to be with your kids. And I know that is like a little old fashioned, but the way that we think of parents is still very much the same and there is this thing with mothers where it's almost like they are an extension of or their child is an extension of them somehow and it's a lot different for men you know I sometimes find that when people and this could just be a personal thing when people are complimenting like young teenage boys you're so athletic you're so tall you look just like your dad you get that from your dad but when it comes to like teenage girls it I don't know it becomes something different where it's like I don't I don't exactly know how to, I think it's more like when when you're talking about a teenage girl it's like if she has something negative about her then it's from her mother instead of a positive thing but I perhaps I, I, I guess that that just might depend, but, but yeah, this, this feeling of just daughters being an extension of mothers and mothers always being the phone call, I guess, you know, whenever I have a minor thing, I'm like, oh shoot, I don't know where my friggin' socks are. I'm like, mom, do you know where my socks are? I would never once in my life ask my dad if he knew where my socks are. Of course, my dad doesn't know where my friggin' socks are, but my mom, now my mom might know where my socks are. And I don't know, just just mothers 
having that connection even when perhaps it is far off. For plot, I gave this a 5.5. I find the main character, Lita, to make some silly and weird decisions, which lead to the whole plot happening. The plot's kind of weird, so I was left wondering, like, is this place just strange and supposed to be upsetting, unsettling, or is there, like, a psychological horror aspect going on here? And I wasn't sure. I couldn't tell if Lita is necessarily um, losing her marbles or maybe the guilt is finally catching up to her or something or if something strange really was going on. But I just don't know if there's enough to back either side. Uh, there's also... so. Pretty much Lita is a teacher and she's on summer vacation and she goes to Italy and she's enjoying the beach. She's enjoying life. And um, a family comes and she begins to have interactions with this family and she takes a particular interest in a young mother and her daughter. And that kind of kicks the story off. And, you know, she sees a lot of herself in the young mother, I think. And there's often very weird and, like, creepy things that the daughter does. But um, it is, I, I think it's just how kids act. But to see it, like, actually, to see kids actually be the way kids are on screen is sometimes... Shocking, I guess. So that's the main plot, but it also goes back to Lita's past and when she was a young mother with her daughter and um, her one daughter is kind of a lot. And, you know, just being like a young parent dealing with two young kids and also wanting to pursue your career, but not really happening. And then going back to her being on this beach and every, everything that kind of led her up to this moment. And kind of like, there's something where she is seeing herself in this other mother and like knowing the point that the other mother is kind of creeping towards. Um, there's also like judging the other mother for certain things, but like feeling like she's not able to because of the things that she does. It's very, it's all very complicated. And it's, it's a very big meditation on motherhood um, and, and parenting. And yeah. And I will say, I think the ending was very much open to interpretation, which I always love that, especially if you watch the movie a little, a little, Less so in the book, but still there, I would say. For characters, I gave this a four. I thought these people were weird AF. The main character, Lita, she's so strange. She makes weird choices, which like I could look past that and chalk it up and be like, oh, okay, she's a purposely weird character. Like, that's just the way that she's supposed to be. But all of the characters are kind of like that. 
like there's this one part where Lita has like a welt on her back and this stranger who like doesn't even know her like rubs cream on it and I'm like besties this is weird do not touch strangers backs like ew not only are you touching like an injury on her back but also it's like summertime it's gross it's sweaty I just don't like it let's just not let's not let's keep our hands to ourselves and like I know they're Italian but sometimes they like kiss and stuff and I'm like oh I don't like it I'm not a fan so I don't know I just think the the characters are kind of strange I don't really feel any connection or relatability or likability for them um their decisions are just goofy are just like idiot decisions um they made little sense to me and that was my like probably my least favorite thing about the book and but here's my thing there is this kind of weird thing about the book where because the characters make these strange decisions i'm then judging them and being like well i would never done that like that's crazy like how could she have done that and blah 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 and it makes me be like "Mm, perhaps bestie that is the point just like lita judges the young mother and the young mother eventually comes to judge lita Perhaps me finding them weird is part of this stack, I guess, stack of things happening. But yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about the book. And now I'm going to move into the movie. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, this movie had me mad confused. And I, I think it's because of how many thoughts were actually happening. A lot of flashbacks. One big difference I noticed from the book to the movie, um, A, the ending is a little different. But besides that, in the book, Lita does have flashbacks to her being a child and her own mother. And they were all kind of cut for the movie to just pretty much be um, flashbacks of Lita and her daughters, which is an interesting choice because there is this cyclical thing about being, you know, a mother and then a daughter and then a mother and then a daughter and then a mother and then a daughter. And for them to take the daughter part out of it and take kind of, um, I don't want to say the trauma, but to take the experiences that Lita's mother gave her when she was a daughter. You know, everyone sees things that your parents do and you're like, well, if I was a parent, I would never do that. So to take that out of it and to only make Lita a mother who makes all the decisions that she made was strange to me. But I think I I watched a little bit of a um, interview on this book and Maggie Jill and Hall was talking about how they were shooting during COVID and the budget was really small. You know, she wanted to shoot on film and she couldn't, she had to shoot digital, all this other stuff. And I, I just wonder if maybe that had to be cut for budget's sake, you know, not to hire another actress 
um, not to shoot all these other films with like a little girl and all that. I don't know. But it is just something to consider, I think. Yeah. And I think also I would say the it's just the relationship with um, Lita's daughter, her oldest daughter, Bianca, was a little more strained in the movie and often confusing. I did. I watched this movie with my parents and there were literally times where we were like, so wait, did this happen? Did this happen? And then one of us was like, no, it was this. And it was a little bit confusing. And, and I don't think that that's Maggie Gyllenhaal's fault. I think it is the fact that this book goes back so much. Sometimes it's hard to keep things straight. Sometimes the flashbacks were not always um, super, they didn't feel super ended. So it was hard to tell what happened afterwards. And yeah, but I, I really just think that that's the book's fault. Not fault, but it's because of the way that the book was made with all these thoughts and memories and things. It's It was just probably hard to jump back and forth. And like I said, they already had a lot of restraints on them as they were recording. Do I think that I, I don't think that this will win? <laughs> I don't think that it will win. Um, but I do think that for the right person, it is worth their time. Um, and I think, oh my God, I just watched this little girl fall off her skateboard outside. And it was actually really funny. Um, and um, I do think that this is a book that I would want my own mother to read so that I could see if she feels the way about me that this mother does, but also do I think that this mom is like a great mom? Um, no besties. I don't. And I think that that's really all I have to say about this wonderful book. And I think it is worth a little bit of your time, just a little bit. And I think that that's that on that. And, um, yeah. I don't know why, but I was cracking up when you were like, these the decisions they make are goofy. They are. They're so freaking goofy. They are goofy. I watched the movie. Um, I did not see, read the book. Another thing I should say is um, it described Dakota Johnson's character in the book as like having Indian features at first, but it was never clear if she like, was and I was like maybe they should have cast her as that yeah why because, the fuck they cast Dakota J right it's be, especially because like she is um like I don't know if this was clear I think it was mentioned in the movie but she is like m- that big family she's married into that family right and that's not clear in the movie no honestly. It, you can't tell if it's her or the guy from fucking Bly Manor right and why does she look more like them they really should have especially because that movie there's not a single person of color in the cast oh wait i just realized there's literally not a single poc and that's why it's it's like right in the beginning that it says that and i was like yeah 
a shout out to um, Paul Mescal from Normal People, though. Blech. I love that Irish king. Hey, this day's for him. This day is for him and Niall Horan only. Only. Nobody else is allowed to celebrate St. Patrick's Day except for those two. That's it. And I guess Marianne from Normal People can celebrate it too. Who's in the new movie Fresh featuring Sebastian Stan. I need to watch it. Haven't yet. Yeah, I have to watch that too. Um, maybe Beckett. Isn't Beckett Irish? Yeah. Seamus Heaney. Yeah. We'll, we'll take Seamus Heaney. Not James Joyce, bitch. No. Sorry. I don't care about you, James. Oscar Wilde is Irish. That's a good one. I love Oscar Wilde. Yeah. He's got to be one of my favorite fucking genders. <laughs> Dorian Gray is my favorite work of classic literature. Just so in case you were wondering, my other favorite work of classic literature is probably Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert, which feels like another weird choice. Maybe not, though. I don't know what mine would be. That's hard, besties. That's, that's hard, hard, besties. That's, that's, a, that's a conversation for another day. Anyways, what is next week? Next, next week, week is a special surprise episode. I'm excited for this one. We're not going to tell you what it is. No. And it's going to be a surprise. It's going to should we get should we give them a hint? Cuz I was just going to say it's going to be weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're just in a silly, goofy mood. Always. Always. The but sun's out for me, so. It's really raining out here, and there's people on the roof across from me. Like, they're building the roof. Oh, I was, like, par- partying in the rain? No. They're building that roof, I guess. On that note. <laughs> on that note, besties, thanks for listening. We'll see you. Next time. Bye. It's out.